0: Good morning church. Good morning. It's uh, cool to see what God's doing. As our kids are leaving this room, I just want you to know that there are some really exciting things coming up in our children's ministry this fall. And as a matter of fact, this week, uh, they are going to be, a lot of them are going to be at Wise and Up, which we are partnering with Crossroads Community Church uh, so they're going to be there hearing about God. There's, it's an opportunity for kids that don't really get exposed to church to hear about Jesus. So we've got a number of kids going there. We've got a number of our adults there helping out. And so, And, and aside, besides that, we also have some of our teenagers that are going to youth camp this week. So it's a big week for our students. And just as you think of it this week, let's just be praying for them, because a lot of times God decides he decides to do some pretty cool encounters. In times like these, when we're away from our normal routine and our normal stuff. So throughout the week, as you think of it, just be praying for them. That God will move. And uh, why don't we just do that right now? Heavenly Father, Lord, you are such a good God, and we thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace. We thank you for our, our children, our kids, God, that you've entrusted to us. Not just to take care of physically, Lord, but to teach them your ways, to point them to you, so that they can walk in your paths. And Father, we just pray for them this week that they would have an encounter with you, that they would learn of your ways, learn of your love, Lord, and that they would come out of this differently. We pray for an encounter with you, God. And we pray for all of our leaders that are going there, that are helping out, Lord, that you would give them patience, but Lord, also you would give them wisdom to show them how they can, how they can reach this generation that's coming up. And God, we just pray for you to do your work. in in the mighty power of Jesus, and that lives would be changed, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so today we are in part two of our new series, My Favorite Sins. It's kind of interesting title. As Pastor John explained last week, it's not actually our favorite sins. Hopefully we don't have a favorite sin. But this... These are areas that we identified with as areas that we struggled with back in January. And last week we talked about being judgmental. Uh, are we as a church, are we supposed to judge or are we not supposed to judge? And we had a powerful message from Pastor John, and we had an incredible testimony from Jen Veldrum, who's one of our worship leaders now, just how she felt judgment and condemnation from the church before she ever received Jesus. And it kind of pushed her away from Christianity. And it was powerful. If you have not had a chance to listen to that, we have it online. I would encourage you to go and listen to that online sometime this week. It's a great message. But today we're going to move on into our next sin. Again, at the top of that list, something we largely identified with as a church. Disobedience. Specifically, disobedience to God's word. Now, when I think of disobedience, I think back to the time when I was a kid. And hanging up on our kitchen wall, my parents had this giant fork and spoon set like this. Different wall, but that's what it was, okay? Has anybody ever seen anything like this before? That's just as bizarre. It's so weird. On the handles of these things, you see there's like little faces, these monster-like faces. These ugly, angry things looking down at you. They look mean, okay? Now they would tell you that this is for decoration, My sister and I knew better than that. Because from time to time, these would be applied to our backsides. We knew that. And so it wasn't a decoration. It was more like a shrine. This is a reminder of what you are going to get if you step out of line. And we knew it. And I was going to tell you that they actually cracked one of them on us, but I decided not to. Because you might think they're monsters, but they're really cool people. But I was thinking, you know, wouldn't it be, you know, if God had like a giant wooden spoon up in the sky hanging out there for everybody to see, just hanging up in the sky, I think we'd probably be a little quicker to obey. You think? And here's the thing. When we look at the culture of Christianity in America, it seems to be somewhat disconnected from the commands in the Bible. It's disconnected. And statistics show that there's really not much difference between believers and non-believers in a lot of different areas. You look at Uh, promiscuity, divorce rates, pornography. Sadly, that's the case where there really isn't too much difference. And as Jen shared last week, non-believers look at people within the church and they say, what's going on? You're judging me, but you guys are doing the same things. And then so we come off as hypocritical because we are. And to make matters worse, our cultural climate of relativism has crept into the church. And in some cases, it hasn't just crept in. It's come in like a flood where there are no absolutes. Even our faith is no faith at all, but it's subject to the whims of our personal feelings. And no one has any right to question my faith. And I don't have any right to question your faith because it's all personal. So I may think abortion is murder, but that's just for me. I might not think that for you. For you, it might be okay. Somehow that makes sense. But we make the Bible say what we want it to say. And if we feel that something in the Bible is outdated, we reject it. And if there's something in the Bible that God does and we think it's just cruel, you know, of course God couldn't possibly be that kind of a God. We just ignore that part. We ignore it. We look over it. And we tend to look and focus on the parts of Scripture that we do like rather than wrestling with it and asking God to give us understanding. We just make excuses. And in this process, we end up making a God that is completely of our own making a God completely in our own image, a God where we attribute to him our moral standards, our moral code, in essence saying that God is not all good, he's not all wise, but we are. And we remove him from his throne and we place ourselves there instead. But in our hearts, we know better than that. Paul tells Timothy that all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. So how dare we think that we know better than God's word? The Bible is the ultimate authority telling us how we should live. It corrects and it teaches us. That's what it's there for. The psalmist says that your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. So we need to not only know the Bible, but we need to do what it says and use it to guide each step of our lives. Now as Pastor John mentioned last week, we can make the Bible say anything that we want it to. We take a verse here, we take a little piece out there and put it together, voila! We take it out of their context. But the first question we have to ask ourselves is, Is do we believe that the Bible in its entirety is the inspired Word of God? Do we believe that? Do we believe that it is true? Do we believe that it is everything we need to know God and tell us how to live? Do we believe that it's God's revelation to us of Himself? Or do we believe that it's simply a book written by men in which we can decide which parts to pick and choose and which parts we're going to believe and which parts we're going to follow? And how we answer that question, church, is extremely important. It's important because that determines how we live. And how we live affects our relationship with God. Because if we remove part of it, if we don't follow part of it, in a lot of ways you may as well just throw the whole thing away. Because the real issue here, the real issue is lordship. Its lordship. Are we going to allow God to be Lord of our lives, or are we? Are we going to live based on His standard, His standard? or Are we going to live based on our own? What are we going to do? Now, a number of years ago, there was a youth leader that I worked with, and uh, we became close friends. Fastly, he was became like a brother. We did ministry together. We talked all the time. And eventually he moved on. He went to Colorado. He found a full time ministry position at a big church there. And we kept in touch through email, through Facebook. And, you know, two or three years later, I I found out that he wasn't employed at this church anymore. And I saw on his Facebook page that it said he was interested in other men. And so I was confused. And I was like, is this some kind of joke? Is it a joke? Is this, is this a mistake? Did Facebook do an update and it screwed his profile? Oh my gosh, did my profile get screwed up? But it wasn't. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't anything like that. And he had eventually come to Sheboygan and we had a chance to sit down and talk. And in this time, like I was asking him, desperately wondering, like, why do you think this is okay? Like, you know the Bible. You know what it says. We've done ministry together. Like, you know, I cared about him. He's like a brother. And you know what he said? You know what he said? I've heard the same thing a number of times in a number of different situations. You know what he said? But God wants me to be happy. But God wants me to be happy. And my heart broke for him. And it didn't matter what I said. It didn't matter what scripture I pointed to that as clear as it was, he was already convinced in his mind that God was more concerned about his temporal earthly happiness than he was about his holiness. I couldn't change his mind. And I don't want to use that illustration to distract from the issue because we're not talking about homosexuality. I'm not talking about that, but we're talking about disobedience. And this mindset can fall under a number of different things as we rationalize things in our own minds. And rather than critically examining, rather than critically examining the truth of God's word in its entirety, we make our own truth based on how we feel about things. Based on how we feel about things. Does it feel right? Especially in today's generation. Does it feel right? Because if it feels right, then it must be right, right? Then it must be true. Then it must be good. And one thing that I've heard Pastor John say again and again, and I've really come to appreciate, it kind of shocked me the first time, But he says something like, I don't care how you feel about it. But he says, "True, I don't care what your feelings are. I don't care what you think. What does the Bible say? And I love that he points to the Bible. What does the Bible say? What does it say? Because truth comes from God. And God's truth is revealed in his word. And our feelings really have nothing to do with it. They have nothing to do with it. And it's time that we start really looking at God's word and using the principles revealed in it to guide our lives, to guide each step that we're going to take and just do what it says. There's an interesting article I read in the last week, actually. This guy by named, a guy named Dr. Noam Spanser. And he was writing for Psychology Today back in 2010. You may have heard of it. This was a study, an experiment that was done 45 years ago. It's called the Stanford Prison Experiment, and I'm going to read what he wrote. In the summer of 1971, a team of researchers led by psychology professor Philip Zimbardo divided a group of undergraduates. He divided them randomly into two groups, prisoners and prison guards, and arranged for them to act out their respective roles in a mock prison in the basement of the Stanford Psychology building. Within days, the guards began to display authoritarian attitudes, ultimately subjecting some of the prisoners to intentional humiliation. The prisoners develop passive attitudes, many sinking into a depressed state. And the thing of it is, this experiment was supposed to go for two weeks, and it had to be stopped after only six days. He writes, The Stanford Prison Experiment is often said to illustrate the power of social roles in shaping behavior, but it also illustrates the power of behavior to elicit real, powerful emotions, the guards in this experiment were not really guards, and the prisoners were not prisoners. They were all volunteers. They were all students. But once they began to act the part, they began to feel the part. And so, this is his conclusion. He writes: Many people assume that the link between emotion and behavior is one way. Emotion shape behavior. This view, he says, is incorrect. In fact, the relationship is reciprocal. It's opposite. Much of the time, behavior actually shapes emotion. Your behavior shapes emotion. Now, where in your life have you had to act the part in order to feel the part? Where have you to act the part in order to feel the part? If I'm honest, sometimes when I come here on a Sunday morning and I'm supposed to lead worship, I don't always want to. Sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I'm exhausted. Sometimes I'm just crabby. I don't feel like leading people in worship. I don't feel like worshiping myself. But you know what? When I do it anyway, my feelings will get there. They follow. And just to go off on a little tangent here, sometimes that's why I wish when we come in here as a church to worship together and I can tell people are tired. I can tell that their mind is on other things. You know, I just wish, you know, let's just worship together because... We're going to get there if we just decide that we're going to do this. Forget the other stuff because the feelings are going to eventually come. But I want us to take note of this concept because it really goes completely against Western thought. Behavior shapes emotion. And as believers guided by the word of God, we know what to do. Right? We know what to do. We just need to do it. We need to do it. And if we get nothing else out of this message today, I just want us to consider this. That we can lead our hearts with the right actions. We can actually lead and direct our hearts by doing what we know what we should do. You know, you hear this, this saying, right? You hear it in movies, you read it in books. I've seen pictures of it. Follow your heart. Anybody hear that? Doesn't it sound beautiful? It just sounds so good. Follow your heart. Just do what your heart tells you to do. You know what though? If I followed my heart in every circumstance that it I felt that it was telling me to do something, I would be a miserable messed up wretch today. I would lose everything that was important to me and I would be miserable because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It sounds good, but it doesn't work. And the Bible actually says that the heart is deceitful. Proverbs says that he who trusts in his own heart is a fool so we can't just follow our hearts we can't follow them we need to lead them we need to lead our hearts the way it should go we can't wait for a feeling in order to act because disobedience is disobedience it doesn't matter what form it comes in it doesn't matter the reasoning behind it it doesn't matter and as people called out by God disobedience should not be a normal part of our lives it should not be Now if we look at the definition of disobedience, we'll go to our online dictionary. It says disobedience is a failure or refusal to obey rules or someone in authority. No surprises there, right? And disobedience can either be an action or it can be a lack of action. You might do something you know you shouldn't or you might not do something that you know you should. It's still disobedience. And what we find throughout scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, is this principle God rewards obedience, and he punishes disobedience. He rewards obedience, and he punishes disobedience. And if you've ever read the book of Deuteronomy, you'll hear a common theme over and over again. Be careful to obey all these commands and decrees. Be careful to obey these rules and regulations. If you obey these commands and decrees, if you obey— it's like listening to Christian radio. You hear the same thing over and over again. Come on, that was funny. Okay, you know, it's not funny when you have to actually say that. I like Christian radio, but, you know, they play the same four songs over and over and over again. But that's kind of what it's like. And if we look at it, it says, if you obey, God will bless and preserve lives. God will count you as righteous. You will have strength. You will enjoy a long life. God will send rain in their proper seasons, blessing upon blessing, if you obey. God is going to take care of you. He's going to preserve you. But if you disobey— The Lord's anger will burn against you. And the entire 20th chapter of this book outlines God's blessings for obedience and His curses for disobedience. And some of these curses I'm going to tell you are truly horrifying. Especially when you look at the book and you see the first 14 verses are for blessings, the next 54 are for the curses. As God is just warning his people, don't do this. Don't do this because if you do this, this will happen to you. Don't do this or this will happen to you. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience will bring the wrath of God. In much of the Old Testament, you see this cycle. This God reveals his character, reaching out again and again to his people, wanting relationship, wanting them to be with him, follow him. Relationship. And we see that when they follow the commands in the covenant, they're blessed with peace peace blessings throughout the nation for years, and when they don't follow what is outlined in the covenant, then God disciplines them in some pretty harsh ways, trying to bring them back. And it's a constant cycle all the way through the judges, through the kings, and into the exile. God punishes disobedience. And so you might ask, well, what about grace? What about grace? Doesn't God's grace cover our sins? Wasn't the blood of Jesus enough to cover all of that stuff? What do you think? What do you think? Some of you seem a little unsure. Absolutely it does. Yes, it does. And praise God for that. It sure does. But Paul also says in Romans that should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? When the believer receives Christ, the Bible says he is a new creation. A new creation. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And he tells Titus, once we too, he says once we too were foolish and disobedient. Disobedience is part of that old life. It's not the new one that we've been given. And that's honestly why it drives me nuts when I hear stories like what Jen shared last week about her friend. Like, it's okay if I do drugs and I live in sexual sin because I just ask God to forgive me. Really? Really? It's like, no. No, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. And Christians should never say stuff like that because grace does not just cover us with forgiveness but it empowers us to live holy lives. It empowers us to live lives that are set apart to God, to live lives that are obedient to him. That is God's grace at work in us. Paul said that Jesus broke the power of sin and because of Jesus, we are set free from its power. Amen? So he says, Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in these things these people do. For once you were full of darkness but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. Live it. And here's what I want us to understand, church. We are a new creation. When we receive Christ, we are a new creation. Paul says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Christian, when you believe God put his spirit in you and you were changed, you were changed. And from that moment, you no longer wanted to do things just to please yourself. You wanted to please God. And that is the power of grace. That's the power of grace. God gives us the mind of Christ. You repented of your sins. Your heart changed. You were sorry for how you lived. So I'm not here to beat anybody up. I'm not here to beat you up but I want to call us to something greater. I want to call us to something better, to live the life that God has for us. We're all a part of his plan. Let's live in it. Right? So it's pretty simple. Simple stuff. Is it that easy? Not really? I wish it was. Wouldn't that be great if we just knew and we just automatically would change? It's not really the case though, is it? Because the reality is that we wrestle with our flesh because our flesh is still tied to this world. And we won't be completely freed until Jesus comes back and frees us from these bodies and gives us new ones. So we have brokenness. We have weaknesses. We have areas in our lives that we struggle with. Some of us have been abused as a kid. Maybe physically, emotionally. We have hurts. We have things that mess us up. Some of us just have been taught the wrong thing over and over again all through our life and now it's challenging trying to think a new way. We all have areas that we need God to intervene and I want you to know that God wants to bring healing to your life. That's the great thing. He doesn't want to leave you where you are. Now, I'm I'm a father. If you didn't know that, the craziest thing is I've been a father for over 17 years. Holy cow. And one of the things that I've learned is that a lot of times the disciplinary issues that I've had with my boys are really only symptoms of the real issues. They're just symptoms. And so I can yell at them, I can scold them, I can punish them, do all these kinds of things, but if I'm just looking at the symptoms and I'm not really looking at the issue, it might change their actions, but it's not going to change their heart. And sometimes it takes a little bit more time to get down into their heart and see what's going on in there, to talk about some of these hurts, the frustrations that they're having, some of the injustices in their mind that they're struggling with, that they're lashing out. It takes time to get into that and find out what is really the cause because when we can deal with that, the symptoms often take care of themselves, don't they? And our disobedience is often them lashing out as a result of a deeper issue. If I take another example, my wife and I have a great relationship. It's great. It wasn't always that way, and I'm very thankful that it is. But still, sometimes we have conflict. There's some anger, and sometimes it just seems to be over the dumbest things. You know, and we focus on this issue. And I'm like, what in the world? Why is this such a big deal? But you know what I found out, and I'm getting better at identifying this? It's not this. It's down here, and it's all the way back here. Because I've been ignoring her. I've been too busy. I haven't given her time. I have not made her feel loved. And she's hurting. She's feeling lonely. And this is what comes out as a result of weeks like that. And so we tend to look up here to fix the issue, but it's not this. It's this over here. And if I can humble myself and address this issue and ask forgiveness, then all that stuff works out on its own. So let's think about this. We're talking disobedience. Let's just look at a couple areas of disobedience. Well, what are some things? Just a couple. Come on. Areas we disobey. Sex drugs and, rock and roll. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Okay. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. What could be at the heart of some of that? What is the root? Why do we resort to those things? Anyone? selfishness. Some selfishness. Anything else? Self-centered. Filling Filling a void. Pain. Lying. Lying? It could be lying sometimes can be a symptom too. It's not the, the deeper issue. Anything else? Yeah, we're just desperately searching. We might be lonely. Right? So we tend to look at the sin but a lot of times it's this root issue that we got to deal with that we have to address, and that's what God wants to address. And this is why we need to pay attention to the reason here, because especially as a church, sometimes we we just beat people up and say, "Quit sinning, quit doing this, quit," you know, it's just—it's all focused on this thing here. But we want to take time to get to the root and identify what's in our heart, and that's something that we need to do as people too. We've got stuff we know there are issues that we struggle with. Now what? Is that? Why am I struggling in this area? What is at the root of this? Because if we don't find and address that root, if it's not dealt with, it's not going to go away. It's not going to get better. It's going to eventually lead to bigger problems. Has anybody ever had some moldy food in their refrigerator? You know, you, you make this big delicious meal. You got leftovers. You put it in the refrigerator, a nice Tupperware thing, and you plan to eat it later, right? So maybe you forget about it a week and a half, two weeks later. You go back in and, oh, there's a little bit of mold in there. Don't feel like doing anything with that. Just put it back in there. I'll deal with it later. I know nobody does that, right? And then what happens, like two months, three months, oh, god, four months later, you're trying to shut the refrigerator door because there's all this Tupperware full of food. That is just plumbing out here. So now you realize, I have to do something. I have to do something. So you open it up, and you start opening. And oh my gosh, there is so much fuzz in there just crawling out. The stench. Is that liquid? What was that? It's disgusting. And if you're like me, you might have the temptation just to throw all of it away and get some new Tupperware. I know there's some, yes, many of us that deal with this, but... We have to deal with the problem. We can't just let it sit there forever because it grows, it gets worse. What about clogged toilets? Now, you can thank Aaron B. Kaisen for making this a nice, clean picture because that's not usually what it looks like. But clogged toilets, if you don't address the issue, it's going to get pretty nasty. Now, this may surprise you, but it's true. We have gremlins at my house. We have gremlins in my house that come into our house, they get into our bathroom, they poop in our toilet, they clog the thing up, and they leave. It's true. And you, <laughs> yes. And you know how I know this? I know it's not just. I know it's not me. And I know it's not my boys because I've taught them in two different sessions. This is how you unclog a toilet. And if I go and I ask them, either one-on-one or as a group, they're like, "Huh." I didn't do I It wasn't me. I didn't do that. And to make it even weirder, you know on that toilet seat, you've got like the seat that you sit on. And then there's that other part that folds down over the seat. That thing is never down until that seat is clogged, until that toilet is clogged. That's the only time that top lid is down. <laughs> so I know the gremlins. So I go up there and I have to go to the bathroom. And all of a sudden I lift that thing up, not thinking. I'm like, oh, man. And I'm angry and I want to bust some heads, but just, you know, I, you can't use it because it's just going to make it worse. You can try to flush it. It's not going to do anything. It's just going to flood over the toilet onto the floor. And oh my gosh, trying to think of cleaning that up. No. That's what kids are for. But, <laughs> but you just don't want to do that. So in the same way, you can't allow little things to fester. Because when we allow little things to fester, it provides a foothold for the devil. And a foothold not dealt with is going to become a stronghold. It's going to be harder and harder to clean up. It's going to be harder and harder to get rid of. It just is. And it's a lot harder to overcome. And we have to overcome it by identifying the root, getting to that. And then we have to give it to God. We have to give it to God. And sometimes that's really tough. Because we hold on to it for whatever reason. Where we have to walk in His grace, and then we choose to make the right decision. One decision at a time. And that's where we have to lead our heart with the right actions. So, living a life of obedience is nothing more than making one right choice at a time. Just one right choice at a time will lead to a life of, bit of obedience. And there will always be things wanting to pull you back, there will always be feelings that want to get in the way. And you may want to settle for comfort rather than doing something hard. It's reality. But lead your heart with the right actions. Lead your heart with the right actions. Live with eternity in mind. Because if we refuse to obey God and refuse to obey His word, we will miss out on an abundance of blessings. An abundance of blessings just from walking with Him. We're not receiving God's best for us. But we're settling for scraps. We're settling for scraps, and I just want to urge you, don't settle. Don't settle for the scraps. There's so much more. There's so much better. Lead your heart. No matter how you feel, no matter what you think, lead your heart with the right actions. Do the right things. Follow the commands and principles in the Bible. like we all know what to do. We know what to do. So let's do it. Let's do it as our hearts will follow our actions. We just have to make sure we're doing the right things. I remember watching a television show not too long ago. And in it, there was this young man who, he wanted to be in law enforcement. And he wanted this since he was a kid. And he worked his way ever since he was a kid. He went through school. He graduated at the top of his class. He wanted this top position and he worked so hard to get there. He was the best. He was really good at his job. And everything was going really well. And then one day, he was shot. He was in the hospital for months. He almost died. And during this time, he's in a lot of pain. A lot of drugs. And he finally got well enough to get out of the hospital. And he started going back to work. But he still was on pain meds. And as you have probably heard, as maybe some of you have experienced, pain meds can be pretty addictive. And so he kept taking these, kept taking them. It was starting to affect his job. It was affecting his performance. It was affecting a lot of things. And what started out as pills eventually led to other ways, just so he could get this feeling that he had. And I remember there was one scene... There's one scene where he's locked up in this little room all alone and he's crying, struggling because he doesn't want this. He doesn't want this, but he does. And he's got this band over his arm. He's got a syringe in his hand and he's just holding that right above his vein with tears streaming down his face because he doesn't want want this, but he needs it. Or at least he thinks he does. And he knows that he could lose it all that he's at the point now where it might just be too late, and if he does this one more time, it's the end. But he's got his whole life ahead of him this life that he's worked so hard for, this life that was full of purpose. You know, I was watching that, and I couldn't help but think that's kind of a lot like us sometimes. It really is, because we've got purpose. God adopts us as his children. And he gives us love, he gives us life, he gives us hope, he gives us purpose for this incredible future. And sometimes we're so quick to think about throwing it away for the stuff that the world offers. And it's just a quick fix. It's not going to last. We can take it and it may make us feeling okay for a while, but it's not going to last. Maybe some pleasure of life, a moment of comfort, but it leaves us feeling empty and desperate and it doesn't satisfy. And I want us to live for the long haul. To look for the future, to live with eternity in mind. That we would lead our hearts, make the decision to lead our hearts with the right actions. Doing what we know we should do and then press forward to the purpose that God has for us. Is that what we want? Is that what we want? Alright, so here's what I want us to do. Here's what I want us to do. When we started talking about disobedience, I think there were probably some of us that had some areas in our lives flash into our minds right away. Maybe something that God has already been dealing with us in. Something that God's already been saying he wants this to change in our lives. Right? Maybe some of us, as we've been talking through some of this, maybe an idea has popped up. And maybe some of us need to do a little bit more searching and asking God what it is. Maybe some of us are—no, none of us are perfect. I think we all have areas in our lives, but this is what I want us to do. I want—let's just take a few minutes, and let's wait on God. Let's wait on God. And this is what I want you to realize, that God loves you. God loves you with an everlasting love. And the Bible says if you received Christ— you're his child. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So these areas, if you're feeling a sense of condemnation or judgment, that's not God. God wants to draw you to himself. So anything like that, get rid of because that's the enemy and he's trying to get in the way of do th- doing things. Okay? But let's realize God's love for us. And maybe even close our eyes and just feel him stretching out his arms to us. God's love. And allow him to search you I'm going to search your life and search your heart. And there's three questions I want us to answer. They're on your outline. Number one, what area in my life am I living in disobedience? What area am I living in disobedience? That's the first thing. And as I said, it may be obvious and it may need a little bit of digging. And then the next one, let's go... Let's dig a little deeper. Let's get to that root. Why am I struggling? What's at the root here? What am I feeling when this happens? Is it fear? Am I afraid? Is it distrust? Is it anger? Maybe I'm bitter. Maybe I'm angry at God because I wanted him to do something years ago in my life and he didn't pull through the way that I thought he should. And maybe something like that is causing areas in your life. It could be something different for all of us. But get to the root. Why am I struggling? And that may take some time. It may not just heal right away. For some of us, it might. But let's get to the root. And I want us to confess that. Confess that to God. Say, Lord, I'm struggling with this. This, I need, I need you. Just like we had that song, Lord, I need you. Because we can't do this on our own. I need you. And let's give it to God. And the last question. What is God asking me to do? Because obedience doesn't just come from listening to the word of God, but by doing it. What does God want us to do? Okay? So let will take a few minutes. It'll be quiet. It might be kind of weird for some of us, but that's okay. And we can take a little bit more time later if we need to, but let's just take a few minutes here and let's just listen and wait on God. Maybe some of you are are done. Maybe some of you have a little bit to go. I guess this is what I'd encourage you to do. Don't leave it. Let's do something about it. And I'd encourage this. You know, sometimes in a Christian walk, we do things in isolation. We make this all personal. It's all about me and my faith. But God wants us to do this in community. So I want to challenge you, before the day is over, if possible, find somebody that you have a strong relationship with, somebody that you trust, someone that you can share some deeper things, and share what God spoke to you. Because we're given each other to lift each other up, to challenge one another, to be strong for one another, because we can't be strong 100% of the time. And that's what discipleship is all about. That's how we grow. We do it together. We do it together. So I know that may not be your norm, but the more we do stuff like that, we talk about what God's doing in our lives, it it challenges us. It makes each of us want to go further on this journey. So I'd encourage you before the day's over, find somebody and share it. Hold each other accountable and see what happens when you meet again and If there's growth, if you just need someone to pray with you, okay? So I'm going to pray in a minute, and uh, Dustin's going to come and close the service. But if you want to pray afterwards, you know, this is open. If you just want to spend some time seeking God, don't ever feel like you have to be rushed out of here. This is always open for prayer. And you can have some people available to pray with you if you need. All right? All right, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, God, you are so good. You are so good. Lord, I thank you so much for the love that you continually pour out to us. You continually seek to draw us to you. Lord, I thank you for your love as well as for your discipline where we need to refocus and get back to the heart of this. And Father, I pray that as we look into some of these areas in our lives that we struggle. God, we know that one day we'll be set completely free from this, Lord, and I thank you. But until then, Father, we need you. We need you. Lord, I pray that your spirit would change our hearts, that it would heal some of these deep hurts, these wounds that have been given to us, these wrong mindsets that make it difficult to really realize this Christian life completely. And Lord, I thank you that you never are done with us, but you're always showing us more and you're just continuing to, to deepen our faith as we grow in you. And God, I just pray that this would be a moment that we can look back on, that, that there was some growth here. And Father, I pray that you would just continue to, to show us your ways, continue to show us your truth, challenge us when we start to get off and we start to get some wrong thinking because God we want to just follow you and we want our relationship with you to be strong so Father I pray for everybody in this room children of God and maybe those not yet but are considering all it takes is a decision and then walking in step with you Father I pray for those may your word Lead us and guide us. And may we just walk in your ways, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.